If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metalworking Nation. This is Making Chips, where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts. Let's make some chips. Talking to baking chips, and you know, thank you for having us out here at the Iowa Community College. We appreciate you guys having us. Yeah, absolutely. So, one of our new friends that we just met down here in the front row, Tim, um, asked if we how do we get started. This. We think it's kind of important to let you all know that uh, we truly are from industry. Um, there was this who we are first. Why don't we tell them? I'm Jason Banger. That is Jason. I'm the host of Making Chips. And my name is Jim Farr. I'm one of the hosts of Making Chips. And I'm Ben Coleman, the third. There you go. The third wheel. Yes. So, please, much the audience, we are on this podcast that happens to be the number one manufacturing podcast out there. So, really quick story, because we had some of those questions already come up. So, um, we do a podcast. We're not really, it's not really a YouTube thing. It's more of a, audio podcast. We started this, what, like seven or eight years ago? You and I were um, invited to be on an AM radio station at like 6 a.m. on a Saturday morning. So like literally nobody was listening to it, but um, I were invited and we're like, sure. And I thought, you know, Jim was articulate and could walk. Thank you. He owned a machine shop. I, I was an avid podcast listener. So I actually listened to a lot of, you know, leadership and theology podcasts. And I just, you know, I have a million ideas, you know, about a hundred a day. And I would say maybe one or uh, one or good a day. <laughs> and um, I just went to Jim. I was like, what do you think about starting a podcast? And it sucked, you know? It did a little bit. Yeah. yeah. It, it sucked. It, 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 first it was a once a podcast. Yeah. First, I guess. Yeah, no, I did not say that. I knew it was a podcast. And he said, well, now and ever since then, we've been on this mission to equip and inspire manufacturing leaders. So, and then, I don't know, like three or four years ago, we felt that Nick would be a great addition to the podcast. Yeah, I was so, close to yeah. I'm a lawnmower. I was learning about the industry that my family's been a part of, and I searched machining podcasts, found these guys, and they were local to me. And- we, we hit it off and you know, fast forward till now. And the third host, yeah, we, the he, third started, he started stalking us and we couldn't get rid of it. Literally, literally, it's a long story, it's a little weird, but like, but what's unique about the three of us is we are three generations in age of multi gen from multi generational manufacturing companies. So, yeah. actually, skip a generation between Jim and I. Well, feels that way, so living on seriously, uh, I'm a second generation owner of a CNC aerospace machine shop in Oak Grove Village, Illinois, and my son Ryan is a third generation. Yeah, I'm a third generation owner of a uh, cutting tool and MRO supply company. And, and I'm third generation. My, my grandfather is a German immigrant and founded our company. We make machine tool peripherals, so like chip conveyors and machining fixtures that make the machine tool more effective. And so it's really interesting because I'm more on the OEM the original equipment manufacturer side. You are. Jason's more on the distribution and resale side. And um, I'm the guy that makes all these. Yeah, these are very different. So, how about uh, anybody out there, podcast listener? Anybody listen to podcast? Raise your hand. Yeah, we got a couple here. Okay, okay, okay. You guys listen to Making Chips? Maybe? No? No, okay. Got it. 
a thousand listeners out there now. Okay. <laughs> wow, look at all the hand crowd. <laughs> so the way we're going to do this, this is going to be a little bit interactive too. So we might actually go out to the crowd. These folks up here in the front yeah, row. So if you have questions, we're going to come back to you at the very end. Or just raise your hand. If, you, if yeah. there's something to add to yeah. the conversation, just raise your hand and we'll come bring the mic to you. Yeah. So why don't we get the party started? Should you guys yeah, introduce our guests? We'll bring them up on stage. I'm going to read his Bible. I can get it. My glasses? No, I don't need them. Right there. Okay. So see, see how we uh, interact. Yeah. He's fine. He doesn't need glasses. <laughs> Our first guest is responsible for, for financials, operational statistics, supervising accounting staff, HR purchasing, and IT, and much, much more for the staff of 70 employees. He is CFO of Power Engineering and Manufacturing, a manufacturing solutions provider. For heavy duty gearbox design, build, rebuild, and recondition. Please welcome to the stage and a big applause for Mike Allison. Mike, welcome. Yeah, welcome. Mike. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. Yeah, have a seat. Yeah. So, our next guest I met about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> he stepped up to the plate. He's and, uh, yeah, he's the uh, senior supplier development engineer for John Deere. So, just from my conversation with him, I learned that basically he works to make the supplier successful so that they collectively can make John Deere more, more successful. Um, how many years have you been doing it? Started on that about seven years ago with John Deere overall about so there you go. 14 years with John Deere, seven years in this role. Welcome to the stage, Brian. So what we want to talk about today, we want to talk about manufacturing greatness. And we feel that there's three components to running a great manufacturing company. Um, we call it, it's like the new PPP, people, process, and performance. And I personally, I like the people part of it. You know, your people is what really, it's the fuel for your manufacturing operation. It drives the performance of your company. I mean, anybody can buy a different machine tool. Anybody can, you know, build a, a manufacturing plant, expand. But if you don't have the right people in place, all of those other components are just never going to get you to greatness. So that's what we want to talk about first. And the first question, um, which is going to be, you know, both of you just jump right in. So what? Not literally, though. Yeah, not, don't literally jump. You can, you can stand there. Yeah. Uh, so, and I'll, I'll go to you first, Mike. So um, what's your organization doing in order to successfully retain and um, bring on higher top talent? I mean, it's a really big issue in the industry right now. We just learned you do basically every function in the business. Yeah. So you got to know something about this. I mean, like, what do you what do you do to bring on those? Well, we at my company at Zengers, we like to call them rock star. We want to build a rock star team. What do you do to bring your rock stars in? Yeah, we've, we've tried a lot of different strategies. And, uh, it's, it's an issue for everybody. But, but the, I think the best success we've had, if I talk about uh, how do we attract people, the best we've been able to find uh, process is really through employee referrals. We find that, uh, so we incentivize all of our employees, you know, a certain amount of bonus to attract and, and retain um, future employees. So that, that's been our most successful strategy so far. Um, the other thing that we've, uh, been doing is, is going into schools, you know, at a very early age and, and talking to people about manufacturing, just trying to increase the pool of available people who are interested in manufacturing. I think there's a stigma out there that manufacturing is kind of a boring or, 
an old school type of person, yeah. say the, the dull, dirty, uh, right. you know, all the, the bad D's that go with manufacturing. Yeah. It's a perception of it, at least. 100%. So we, we find that if you get students young at age into the plant, see the stuff that we're actually making, it looks pretty cool. You can see the types of machines we're doing, the amount of programming. The robotics. The robotics. The programming. Interesting than what I think a lot of people have. So I think part of it is trying to break that stigma of people at an early age that think there's a real opportunity to come into manufacturing that's an exciting career path that could, you know, help support the families long term. So so combination of employee referrals, talking to people in schools, all the way to middle school on up type of thing to get, get people more interested. And coming into manufacturing. Okay. When, when you talk about schools, are you, is this high schools? Are, th- are these colleges schools, like Hawkeye? Okay. Uh, middle schools, you know, we, uh, you know, even into, you know, some over the professional careers, the university as well. So, okay. Are you finding yourself, um, from, as a manufacturer, maybe competing with some of the other trades? You know, I, I, I see the come out like, you know, going to HVAC, going to, you know, plumbing, you know, it's okay. How do you, how do you, how do you balance that? Yeah. You know, I think, you know, everybody, every company has something that they find unique about what they do. You know, for us, we're, we're small volume, but we produce a wide, wide variety of products for a lot of different applications, military to farming to whatever. So you try to, you try to connect with the students about what's unique about your company, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and talk a little bit about the culture of your company, why you think, you know, that, it might be excitable for somebody at their age to come into a company like that. Okay. Okay. I have a quick question for Mike. So you mentioned perception and stigma for the industry. You know, we've been talking about this for years, years. right? About manufacturing, about that persona and what people think about persona. 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 <laughs> Thank persona, you. Persona. Thank you. He's always correcting me. So, but tomato, tomato, think, tomato, tomato. Do you think we as veteran people in the industry can do anything to to change that persona or does it start in the family or because does somebody say oh i don't want my kid to go into manufacturing because uncle joe was on a uh, punch press years ago and he lost his finger you know i just i just remembered what the four d's are what are they dull dangerous dirty and dark yes and those are kind of like what people associate with manufacturing and it's it's a mistaken identity Right. So if we're trying to recruit new people, new talent, new, 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 new blood into this industry, how do we go about changing this perception and where does it really start at? Yeah, I, I do. I agree. It, it does start a lot with the families. I mean, there's a lot of kids we talk to in high schools that, you know, my, my dad wants me to go to get a four year degree. Right. Class consider anything different and, and and it's not for everybody and and we see that you know and so we try to bring some of our employees with us at some of those meetings that are in you know in their early 30s that have, have followed this path and shown hey this guy is very successful right he enjoys his job he supports his family and, and try to bring those success stories in front of you to make it more appeal to them other than just you know take our work for it tells them sure. you know, and, um, but yeah it's, it's definitely a challenge and, and i think it does start at home a lot of times so how people learn Okay. So how many employees do you have? 70. 70. So then we compare that to uh, Ryan. Yeah, 71. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe thousands, thousands, thousands of employees. And I think the, the, the problem with perception is still the same. Sure. You might have a different challenge um, trying to recruit like somebody to John Deere. Like kids have a John Deere tractor. They grow up with the, the my kid's got a John Deere tricycle. So he's probably more excited maybe to work for a big mega brand like yeah, that yeah. than um, the smaller companies like like our company. Like our, when you brought up um, the incentivizing of the referral, 
Right. I, I, I was thinking, you know, that seems easier for a smaller company to implement, but I wanted to hear from Ryan. Is there anything like that going on at John Deere? Good question. Yeah. So John Deere does have a referral program for both salaried and uh, wage, I believe as well. I'm not sure what the latest and greatest is on that program. Uh, but for some of these answers, I'll speak to, I've worked with 150 different manufacturers in 20 different countries. And so I'll kind of speak to what I've seen working. Yeah, so that's what's unique about your role because you can talk about John Deere, but then also all the suppliers that you work with. So yeah, And for the previous question, I think one of the things that I've seen work with a lot of the suppliers is getting exposure to the students. So whether they're doing a tour or having an open house or you take taking doing presentations, but really the exposure is what sort of helps break that stigma. Uh, now for a foundry, it might be tougher to do that, but there are benefits to working in a foundry as well. And mm-hmm. I think it's important that a student can see, like, like was mentioned, the millennials. Uh, I think I'm just a little bit past the millennial, but, uh, I still like to learn a lot. And so I think that, you know, seeing a path for continual growth and all of that is, is important as well. And seeing that as an option in manufacturing with cross training, I mean, all kinds of different ways you can do that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we'll, we'll definitely touch on that more in the performance side later. Like, okay, how, how can you motivate performance from different types of people who come from uh, different generations? So just to kind of close the loop on the whole, um, hiring conversation, one of the things that I've talked about several times on making chips is that I believe that manufacturing, um, you know, uniquely has the ability to um, pull people up from poverty. So like you can take a family who maybe, you know, they only thought that their, their, their ability to their potential for earning money was the local grocery store or something like that. But you think about the wages there versus the wages. If you were to move up to, you know, a machinist or a foreman or a supervisor or something like that. Um, have you seen that um, impact in your company? Um, what do, what do you do in order to you know attract um, that type of team member who maybe doesn't know that they have a chance at a better life, but they could have it in manufacturing? Do you mean convey the wages and the just the reaper, all all the above, the recruitment and just you know inspiring them and like what kind of like transformation they've seen? To, so like what he was talking about, you know, a lot of. People say, oh, you know, my parents encouraged me to get a four-year degree. There's a lot of parents who just, that's not even on their radar. Oh, right. I'm, I'm thinking paycheck to paycheck. So four-year degree is not even in, in my right. mm-hmm. Absolutely. But, you know, you can go through a career in manufacturing and yeah. end up making more. Support a family for a lifetime. So, yeah, what's your experience with that? Yeah, it's 100% accurate. We've got a number of cases where people who have significantly changed their their status of life by 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 joining our company do you, have, do you have a name a story i mean like is something that come to mind um you know there's 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 a handful of them um i'm trying to think one that's most relevant but uh there's there's a a son of an immigrant man mm-hmm. and 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 uh you know was probably doing a an hourly you know making minimum wage type of role you know, and they were all living together. And, and I think this, this gentleman's been with us for probably 12 years now. And now he's a lead, you know, making, you know, 70,000 plus, you know, annual wage and supporting his family and, 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 and is influencing others in his community 
to kind of find that path. And that's what we're trying to do is how do you get into some of these communities that, that don't always look into manufacturing? They might even know about it. Yeah. Right. The sons and daughters of immigrants. Yeah. They propelled my whole company into yeah. all the growth that we've had. Yeah. I'm the son of an immigrant. A lot of companies we work with, a lot of suppliers we work with. So it's, it's not easy, but it's, it's finding those key links and trends in those communities. And, and for a company our size, part of the challenge is, you know, you often have language barriers and those kinds of things. Like, how do you translate your job descriptions to multiple languages so people can actually know that you have these positions out there? You know, we always just think, oh, well, you post it on Indeed and somebody will find it. Well, that doesn't work for a lot of the potential workforce that's out there. Right. So, you know, how do you go to churches and to uh, neighborhoods and, and get the word out, and get, you know, pamphlets and flyers and job fairs and open houses and, and all these kind of tools are out there to kind of just attract people into the building. And, you know, once you feel you can kind of get them on site and get them there and have a conversation with them, you can, you can, you can start breaking that down. But it's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of barriers to kind of get through. That's a lot. It's not a, it's not an overnight type of right. project. It, it takes a lot of time to kind of develop those relationships. Absolutely. Ryan. One of the, one story that I've seen that I've tracked with one of our suppliers is they reached out, again, directly to the community, but they found a Spanish-speaking community that was an hour to two hours away, something somewhere in there. And they actually uh, got an inroad into the community. They had uh, hired a few people out of it. Then that those people went back and told more people about it, and they actually helped them with relocation and assistance with finding a place to live and even co-signing leases in some case. I'm not sure if they would do that again, but... Uh, um, you know, just a real approach there. And they even started English language classes for the folks there. And so absolutely life-changing for these people that moved their families. And it was, they hired like 50 people or more and it solved the labor issue at that company. And they actually, not only that, but you know, they're obviously they knew there was going to be a hit on efficiencies until they're able to, you know, get caught up tracking that and seeing the improvements and all that. And, uh, it, people are very thankful to have the job and they're hardworking and getting things translated. Like you said, obviously that's uh, a barrier, but it's something that you find us, you, you need one supervisor that can speak both languages and you're, that's a massive solvable. And it connects to what we started this whole people conversation with was this uh, referral acceptance. Well, these immigrant communities are often super tight knit, you know, super tight knit communities where, you know, one person finds a great opportunity and then, you know, all of a sudden there's this uh, flood of uh, people who want to work. And some of the most hardworking people at our company are, you know, the, the people who have immigrated. So let's, let's stay here, continue to stay here within people. Um, but let's make a transition. So you've, you've got the staff. And you want to make sure that they are working to their full capabilities. You want to really prioritize the strengths of those team members so that you can, as a manufacturing company, achieve that greatness that you're looking for. Um, what, what, what do your companies do in order to, to, um, to achieve that, to really, you know, capitalize on the strengths of your, of your people? Um, yeah, a few things I think we do offhand is the first thing we do every, for every new employee, we, we create what we call a success plan. You know, I think one of the easiest things to do is you hire a lot of people and you just kind of put them out and just yeah, throw them to the fire by osmosis and hopefully they can figure it out. Yeah. So is that like one of the first things you do, like day one, here's your success? Plan. Yeah. yeah, within the first couple of days, you know, we kind of we review a success plan and 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 not that it's perfect, but at least it tries to provide them a roadmap of their first you know, depends on the employee, but, you know, first 90, 180, 360 days is like, okay, by 
you know, by one month, I should learn how to set up a part on my own. By two months, I should be able to run a full production run of something. You know, you kind of try to build these building blocks so they know they're progressing on a path that, you know, will ultimately get them to be a productive employee. Yeah, it's roadmap. I actually yeah. just did that for uh, a new hire that I had about six months ago, and it really has, you know, proved to be, you know, fruitful in the in the new hiring process. I mean, I, I created a roadmap. I was yeah. like, you know, this is what I expect from you after three months, six months, and 12 months. And it's really worked out well. Red light, green light. Uh, there was nothing like that. And, you know, we did have a, have a discussion about it. It's, it's red yeah. and it takes... Exactly. But uh, is that one is of that, the most in-demand things from our employees at our company is, hey, t- tell me where you want me to be. You know, give me a plan. And it's like school, you know, you know, okay, I'm going to pass this section of the course if I can uh, if I can do this at, at you know week three or whatever right yeah I, I think that feedback loop is so important especially for yeah for new employees we John Deere has a 30 60 90 day feedback loop and then it's sort of up to the supervisor to have ongoing feedback from there but <clears throat> there's uh, and then I think there's a six month one as well because there's a, a union and there's like things that change in status and all that and, and some complications there but the, I've noticed when those are done faithfully it's just different for the employee because they get a chance to voice what their issues are. I, I, when I was a supervisor, I saw some misunderstandings come to light and then we could resolve those because I were setting this expectation that we didn't really talk about. And they're kind of wondering why you got a problem with me and mm-hmm. you can sort of air that all out. And so just being intentional about those conversations, I think is important. Uh, some other things I've seen, I, one creative thing I've seen that that had incredible success. I mean, I think it cut absenteeism by like 80%. It was, they did incentive for uh, what was it, consecutive days. So consecutive days without a missed day. Mm. So, and it was a significant, it's like a thousand dollars if you make four weeks with no, I mean, really? Wow. I, that number may be wrong, but the idea is that it's, it's way more than what you would think so that they actually get like, because, right. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Food help. We, I mean, that does help. Yeah. We do those pizza parties too, but I, you know, maybe something a little less would be, Hey, if you're whole, making a team thing and your whole team, you know, we, I did this for 5S when I was manufacturing engineering, but we, you know, if the whole team passes the audit for a month, then yeah, we get a piece of it. But one person fails. So then you have like this cohort working together sure. and, you know, but just some creative ways to get into that. And then, uh, we actually on a previous episode of making chips, I, I went through our bonus incentive program, call it our BIP. And that was a component of it was, you know, you have to be, it was a weekly bonus, but you have to make sure that there was no, you know, unaccounted for absences during that week period. I think that's important, especially now, especially to teach your newest people. That, but well, that's okay. I think that's accountability on the employee's part. And I, just my own opinion that, you know, I think that when you're hired into a job and the starting time is 6.30 a.m. and you have to work Monday through Friday from yeah. 6.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. that you need to show up. I don't, I, I think that well, it's one you're component. I, it's, it's, it's one, one component. component. Yeah. It's like, well, it's almost like you're not incentivizing to be there every day, but you're saying this is important enough such that you wouldn't get your bonus unless you do this. You know, I'm really conflicted. Uh, I'm, this, no, this debate is really good because it is. So I lead the sales team. So it's, uh, and they just the salesmen sleep until 11 o'clock, like Nick does every day anyway. <laughs> I, don't, so. I wish I could, but I got little kids. Text all day. So, you know, we're trying to figure out like, is it too much carrot or too much stick, you know, with management. And so I do these quarterly incentives. And so, 
some of what I incentive every, incentivize every quarter is things that they just should do. To your point, Jim, like this, just yeah, like I, using I, the CRM and stuff like I, that. I, I'm very conflicted about it too because go ahead. for logs, the most accurate calls that with you know customer visits or whatever, it gets an award. And you know some some of the like my dad or some of the guys from the generation of homes. That's what they should do if they That's want to exactly. All right, I got an idea. Okay. Let's hold this off for a second. Okay. I want everybody here to raise your hand if you think you should be incentivized for things that are just an expectation, like showing up for work. Yeah. I mean, this, this is going to be good. How many, how many so people incentivize somebody for so coming to work on time? For coming to work on time, and it's a part of your bonus program. If you don't come to work on time, you're just not going to be part of our bonus. Yes. Raise your hand. Or, so raise your hand if you're for If you're for that. You know, uh, what do you call it? Like standard word, like standard expectations. Go Ready, go. You can, don't be shy. Come on, I'm doing it. I'll raise my hand. Okay. So, no, literally, I it's I like, where I'm at, honestly. It's like less than five, it's less than five percent. So, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, we're not, there you go. But having an idea, it's like, you need to know your people and what's going to work for your people. Because Very true. Yeah, yeah, you're right. We've seen, I've seen where you've got a company that's trying to retain people, but then they've got, emergency contract labor in there as well and other people are missing but they don't want to fire the guy because he's got hey him here two weeks two days a week is better than no day, days a week yeah. here but then it's like now that perception for other people that are there every day so it's like it's pretty complicated well i mean here's what it comes down. this is what i think um incentives always come down to and i think we could talk about this maybe in a future episode of making chips but you incentivize somebody towards the actions that you want them to take so if that's the actions you want them to take if they got to show up on time and maybe they're not well then Make it a part of it. Um, so is that the only... So you called it your... What was the program called? Uh, no, this is for you, Mike. What was your program called that you start people on? Oh, the success plan. Okay. Sure. And what else is a part of that success plan besides that roadmap? Or is that pretty much all of it? That is most of it. you know. And, it, and it's really incumbent on their... The challenge we have, it's really incumbent on their direct supervisors who's kind of watching over, making sure that they're staying on top of that progression. Yeah. But yeah, it's that's really kind of how we get people integrated the other thing that we do then as relates somewhat to that is we do a employee survey every six months. Mm-hmm. And, and to some extent, that's linked into that is that it's a pretty open-ended conversation about what are things going well, what are things not going well from, a, from an employee standpoint. Yeah. So about the individual. Yeah. So what we're trying to do is try to help elevate the, the voice of the employee to some extent into the management of the company. And how do we how do we do that? Uh, because you know, like most companies, we've got people who are all the way from six months to thirty plus years, and everybody's got a different perspective and a different um, view of, of how the company operates. But you know, trying to pull that out, you know, as much as we can through those kind of conversations. That's great. Yeah, we we do a monthly survey, and there's like twelve different topics that it goes out of, out of, and it, it, there's some great info that came out of it. Yeah, great. So one question, one and one comment. About kind of your, your process of managing people. And then we'll segue into the, the process. The second P. But, um, first, so the question is, so if, if we're trying to maximize the, um, strengths of our employees and, and trying to like really understand what you, where they're uniquely valuable, are, are any of you or anyone in the crowd, if, if you want to comment, just raise your hand. I'll bring you the mic, but. Are, are you, any of you doing things like, like disc tests or we talked about the Colby test where it helps you identify like where the strengths are, you know, like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, again, like kind of personality or what motivates them. Or yes. Just, you know, because sometimes you can have a, a, a person with all the right values and, you know, they're, they're um, you know, 
at the core values level, the right employee, but they're just in a position. They're the wrong seat. Be successful. Right employee, wrong seat. Don't put me in account. Yep. I will lose. (laughs) So anything that that you guys do along those lines or one of the things that uh, here has lots of tools for managers to use and it's sort of up to the style and the manager. But one of them is, is what's called an explore employee experience survey. And there's 20 some questions on there. And the manager may pick five. I just did one with my manager. And so they go through sort of what motivates you? What kind of work do you like to do? What do you like about your work? What do you like? Those sorts of things. It's not really a disc test or anything like that. We do. I have seen teams do that where they, that's more of a salary thing where they would embrace that for the team or maybe like strength find or something like that. Mm-hmm, something like that. Yeah, uh, sure. But there's that sort of coaching available and you do see some good, you, know, you can even use that as team building and camaraderie and that sort of thing and have fun with it. But that is something that it does seem to, Things come up in those kinds of conversations like that employee experience survey that wouldn't come up during a normal one-on-one with someone or feedback if they're just kind of creative questions. And that sort of helps the team become more effective. So that's right. Yeah. So my experience is if it's $50 for each test or whatever, it's money well spent. Absolutely. Because it starts the conversation that that can lead into some of those that, that feedback loop conversation where it's like, okay, um, you know, here's what's going well. Here's what's not going well. And then here's what your test said. It's like, well, no wonder that's not going well. You know, I'm not, I'm not really that good you at the Colby test to all the employees. No. And I, okay. I think, you know, I, I would. Okay. Honestly, like it's something I would do. So sure. And then just, just one more comment about, you know, like where, where the carrot and the stick thing goes, like as far as uh, positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, I started this program with, with my sales guys where, you know, we have a lot of different business units that they have to serve. And so for each one, we created a training program with like a certification. You know, you have to pass a test and then you're certified. And so I offered as one of these quarterly incentives, if you pass all of them, then you get like a bonus, like a monetary bonus. And, you know, two or three of them got them all done and they got the money and then some of them didn't do anything. So I said, okay, now it's mandatory and there is no bonus in, in the next time period. And then the third time period, if they still don't get them done, it becomes more of like a, this is more of a, a stick conversation. Nick is ruthless. He cut them. <laughs> Not yet, but, that, but then you start having that, okay, we have to improve your performance or that's what's going to happen. So I think maybe the answer kind of lies in, in something like that where there's a spectrum, you know, where um, if they get something done exceptionally, there's like an incentive. If they do, you know, just what's kind of standard, it's what's standard. And then, you know, if they're really delayed on, on accomplishing something or that if they can't rise to the level they need to be, then it's more of like a disciplinary thing. Makes but, sense. Uh, All right. Why don't we move to process? Right. That's you, Jim, right? Are you the second key of today's panel, right? Um, so process. So what, is that, what does that mean to me? What does that mean to me in my business? I want to know what it means for the panelists, though. We're we're going to get to that, but because I'm leading the conversation, I'm going to tell you what it means to be to kind of like tee it up a little bit. So to me, it means documentation, data collection, um, automating repeatable processes. Right. So my first question is to Mike, and it is: What processes do you feel do you follow? Excuse me, to ensure that you are meeting your customers demands yeah there's there's a lot i mean there's there's a lot <laughs> you know anybody who operates with the crm they you know there's a lot of data in the system and i think one of the greatest challenges when i came to the company was we had all this information but but nobody was doing anything about it there's almost too much information to really act on you know so what we try to do is 
we narrowed it down to what are our three primary goals, you know, and one would be on time delivery, you know, one may be quality, you know, and then one might be financial results. And so, you know, like your key metrics, right? Metrics. And then we, we develop specific reports that kind of drill down from there. So if we talk about on time delivery, you know, a lot of our conversation is how do you take these three big company metrics and, and relate them down to everybody on the shop floor knows how they contribute to the success or the failure of that metric, you know? So ultimately it got down for us is, is, you know, uh, uh, every employee, when they start the week, they get a list that says, these are things we expect you to accomplish by the end of the week. These are the number of parts you need to run. These are the number of sales calls you need to make. These are the number of, you know, invoices to process, whatever it might be, you know, for that function. You know, so we felt that it was important that we related these high-level goals down to something they can relate to each individual position. Some positions are easier than others, but uh, that's the basic focus. And so we create these little graphs that they see at the beginning of the, you know, beginning of the week, here's your list. At the end of the week, yeah, I'm 90% there. I'm 80% there. I'm, I overachieved whatever types of... So everybody has a number that they're... Everybody has a number. Some of them are more grouped by department because they will join and work on tasks. Sure. Not necessarily, you do one and B, but it may be that you know, the lathe department has these parts to do. What percent of the parts of the lathe department finish it? You know, mm-hmm. without they share that number. That they share that number. Thanks. So okay. that's that's and so that's kind of how we try to lay different types of these you know overriding goals and and drive the metrics down into the individual work. Sounds like accountability to process. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And that's that is the biggest thing because you know there's there's always a lot of finger pointing why we didn't make what and it's this department or that department you know and and if you only measure your end results if you're only de- measuring your on time delivery you're never really going to affect the things that are slowing you up. So it, it helped us identify our constraining departments. It helped us identify, you know, and, and begin to staff higher in those areas, work extra time, do things to allocate and stuff like that, those constraining areas. How do you measure process for quality? I'm just curious to see. You know, we we measure uh, non-conformances. So okay. basically uh, every operation has an inspection step, you know, and so we, you know, it's, it's for us, it's how many, how many, Parts were manufactured outside of spec, but then also a big piece of that is how many of those were identified within the operation they incurred. You know, was it was it identified once we completed that part, or did it get all the way to the final assembly, and then we found out there was an error, and now we already made six or seven other different operations. So the two big metrics we look at are what are our nonconformances, but also the nonconformances that were identified in the step they actually incurred at. You know, to help us be a little bit more proactive in, in identifying that quality. Outside of quality, um, what do you what do you do when um, you don't hit a metric that you should be hitting? Um, you know, it, it depends on it depends on the magnitude. You know, you know. So Let's say it's big. It's a, it's a correct. It's a corrective action. It's a corrective. Yeah, it's corrective action. So so we will generally pull a panel of group together. You know, of, you know, if if for example we are we're not hitting our production goal in 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 the late department or one of our work cells, we we will have a you know a, a Monday morning meeting and and pull the team in and say, okay, we fell short of the goal. What can we do differently? You know, do we do we have the right tooling in place? Do we have the right programming? Do we not have the right material on hand? You know, we'll we'll do some of that problem solving with the team to kind of identify what are the things that we can do better next week, following week to kind of get back on track type of thing. So, and we just try to log those things in our quality system throughout the year, and and you know, 
you'll find common reasons why we're, we're missing material. A lot of employees didn't show up, you know, those types of things. And that's, that'll drive different actions that way. So Ryan, I'm going to repeat the question and I'm going to throw it your way. What processes do you follow to ensure you are meeting your customers' demands? Yeah. So in, <clears throat> depending on the factory, I mean, we have standard, Deere, John Deere has standard documentation for everything. Some of it has this system called JDAT that's, uh, communicates the steps and did you do them and, and all that. And it's all wirelessly communicated. But with suppliers, what I've seen is, you know, there's always a process. It may not be a well-defined process. It may, there, there's something before it's not getting done. And so what I've seen is, you know, the more complicated something is to explain to me as I'm doing an audit or something, the more complicated it is to manage. And so that's true. We're doing a value stream map and they were struggling to explain to me how you even do this. I'm probably thinking you're not really doing it that consistently. Yeah. And so what I like to see though is a lot of times they can explain the process, but maybe they don't have it documented. I'd much rather have a good process in place that's not documented, but when we document it, then we can sort of check against it and have and continuously improve it. So sort of JDAT. So that, that defines the standard work and then make sure that it's happening. Right. Yeah. In that case. Yeah. So, but those sorts of things that I've seen would be like a, a regular uh, production review and operations meeting. We'd have a process for that. We'd have a process for, uh, you know, the start of the shift, the shift handoff, the paperwork I have to fill out at the end of the shift, that sort of thing. And then explaining any misses. That so Ryan, you're intimately involved with the suppliers at John Deere, right? So you need to go in and qualify them as, as a supplier. If you see that they do not have active processes in place that you feel are reputable and consistent and repeatable, you disqualify them. Tell me how you do that. That's a great question. Yeah. We've got two areas that we're evaluating new suppliers on. One is quality and the other is delivery. Quality would be would would be a go, no-go assessment. Sure. It could be disqualified for not meeting minimum quality standards. For my, I'd like to get back to that too. I'd love to hear some metrics on the quality that you do. Yeah. So my area in delivery, we're looking at how do they schedule production? How do they manage performance of their supply base? How do, how's their preventive maintenance? How's all these different areas? How do they hire retain employees? Are they going out and working with universities or schools? So we've got all these different areas. Do they have a business continuity plan? All these things. Now, the way I look at it is, could any of these areas, there's 30 some questions on this assessment. Could any of these areas cause a disruption in supply to John Deere based on their questions? So there's a minimum, what we'd like to see, and then there's world class, and then there's below the minimum, which I'd call a gap. And so say we do 30 questions, we've got five gaps. We would have, I would clearly define that gap. Then we would give them a few weeks to come with an action plan for each gap, close that gap. It's not a disqualifying assessment, uh, it comes after the quality once they've been qualified as it, but we can always work to improve those. Those are things that really hurt over the long term. Quality is a problem that hurts right now. And so what we want is that repeatable process that is well-defined so that we just have to talk to give you your supplier award and, and that sort of stuff. So it would be put an action plan together and then I would track them and maybe help them or connect them with resources or even visit and help improve those areas. Great. So I just one quick question I want to I want to know when you see a best in class supplier, what are the key characteristics of a best in class supplier 
just so we know all important for a, a shop like cars. Yeah, absolutely. I want to know what you're looking for. If, if John Deere came in my shop and was looking for a best in class supplier, what are the key characteristics you're looking for so we can refine what we're doing right now? Yeah. So when I'm going in and I say, how do you measure your business or what are your metrics? And there's not a like answer like this. That's, that's a red flag. It's a red flag. Yeah. And so uh, what I would say world-class is you got metrics, clear metrics to manage your business. You've got processes that are defined and, and you do them. And more than one person knows what that process is for managing the business. And so typically managing the business is around, you can have world-class quality processes, yep. but how do you manage the business? And are you just getting good quality because you're inspecting everything so much or is it because it's inherent in the process. Mm -hmm. So that good, you know, management reviews, those sorts of things and having, you know, I would, like I said, I'd much rather see a process that's executed well. And it's demonstrated by the fact that this room is having a conversation about that process and everybody's on the same page and throwing little pieces in versus they show me a document that looks beautiful, but they don't go. And I find out it's like, knows what's on the management review. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I actually, you know, I know this is your section, but I'm going to jump in and be a ball. I, I have another question too. And I'm, I'm, I wanted to look at the clock, ask you this. Um, so, so, you, you know, we talk about bias and value stream mapping and all these things that you learn when you study lean and, you know, continuous improvement and stuff. But then I think where really the improvement happens is like the daily management meetings with the supervisor of a small team. Mm -hmm. Like you were talking about conversations about the process and how can we improve it? What, if anything, can you do to like make sure that culture goes from you know the lead guru at the top all the way down to the person who's owning the process and supervising his you know peers and the work cell or whatever? The big thing for me, so when I was a supervisor, is having somebody to as a mentor to help go through this stuff with you and making sure so making sure that supervisor has somebody they should go to, whether it's in the organization or outside, to how to handle these situations or what to do and just making sure driving that relationship from that supervisor where they're balancing the, you know, are they the friend, the boss, the, you know, whatever their style is, but being able to drive that because I noticed as I progressed in learning to be a supervisor, the more, the better I handled situations, the more they could go away. I would actually root cause them and how I handled it and when I addressed it, those sorts of things, uh, not just band-aiding everything. That's what really made the difference. So it's, it's that relationship with the frontline worker and the supervisor and really knowing the employees and being able to have that trust there. Can I, inter can I interject really no, quick, Jim? Can't. Please. No. <laughs> <laughs> this goes to the back of the table. I know. the back room. We go a little longer. Like we're having a great conversation here. Can we like steal a little bit more time? Is that okay? Okay. All right. What, what, schedule? what time do you have? What time do we have until? Is it quarter two or till two o'clock? That's the first Awesome. Thank you. All right, Jim, you can talk now. Last question for the second. Second. This is still in the process. Um, I'm just going to say, just going to throw it out. Uh, Ryan and Mike, I'd like each answer, like, and just keep it simple 60 seconds. Are you doing anything outside of the box or different when it comes to processes? Think about it. Articulate those answers. Either one of you can go. 
out of the box, something different than nobody else is doing, something that's unique to your company. One of the things we always like to talk about in making chips, and I think I've said this a couple of times, is equip and inspire manufacturing leaders. So if there's something different that you do, the Metalworking Nation would love to hear about it. Yeah, sure. I'd love to hear about it. Yeah. I think one of the things, and this may... I don't think nobody else on earth has done this, but one of the things we've, I've seen success with is when I was a supervisor, instead of just giving a speech about continuous improvement ideas, which I tried and nothing changed for a month. And I realized they heard that speech before. Yep. <laughs> I actually just found key people in each area and said, you're the, you can be the lead for this area. And they owned it. And then we just started doing the improvements that were given. And that set the, the stage for, oh, we're actually, and I actually told everybody, I said, Hey, if you guys, uh, haven't had anybody talk to you about your improvement idea in the last two weeks, put a little red dot here. And then I gave the M- manufacturing engineers two weeks to get a conversation about it. And we got it in now and we've got this working system. And so that kind of, what I, I said all that to say this, the key was putting wage people, sort of giving them a lead role in that. So they're actually representing that group of wage people. And then... So lead roles peer to peer. Literally equipping and inspiring the individual. So you, you equip them by giving them like, hey, you're the champion for this. And then you inspire them like, hey... And then we may have 100 tag ideas, 100 ideas. And then we say, well, you're not doing mine. You're not doing mine. So then what we said was, okay, you guys get together and tell us the top five. And we're going to do those the next week. And then we'll talk again and see if the top five is still the same. And so then that way, they've got ownership. they got to go have their conversations about it and let them sort of make a champion. Yeah, it really comes down to accountability. It's yeah. sure it goes. We did something similar to that. We, we, we appointed what we call a senior advisory committee. It's our most experienced people across all the different departments, people there in 20 to 30 years. Similar type of thing. All the ideas, people used to think we, we heard all these ideas, but we never acted on them. Well, we didn't have a good feedback loop. So now all the ideas go to the senior advisory committee and sort through the priorities. And then how do they meet and discuss that? It's about every quarter. Oh, okay. Yeah, about every quarter. And that's a way for us to kind of. One thing I put a bow on is there has to be a feedback loop. That's where I see suppliers. There has to be acknowledgement of receipt of the idea. And then are we going to do it? If not, why not? And then whatever it passes on to. And you can track that with Excel. You can track that with a free whiteboard. You can track it with uh, anything. You, yeah. you don't need a sophisticated ERP to do it. But if you have the sophisticated ERP, it probably is very helpful. All right. Yeah. So I know All right. I know Jason negotiated a five-minute extension, but we should probably move on. Yeah. yeah. Let's move on to performance. Nick is doing the performance. Yeah, the final piece. This so we, Tell us about performance. What's cool is we've been kind of talking about performance the whole time. Yeah, we are. We can't really yep. talk about getting the most out of your people without talking about performance. And the process defines the standard that, you know, the performance is measured by. But um, And then it's different, too. You know, we've also talked about the differences in kind of the generational differences from if you're a millennial or not, if I'm a millennial or not, do, how do we think different from, you know, uh, Jim Carrey generation? So, um, seriously. Um, so, most of them are not working anymore. Hey, Jim, sticks around. See, see, see the dynamic on the mic. So, they've all retired. So, how do you achieve, uh, whoever wants to go first can go first, but how do you achieve the, the high output results that you need? And then, and then not only that, but sustain them, you know, not, don't just have that. We talked about the slaver of the month feeling like, yeah, you know, someone gave a speech and it was great, but how do you sustain that continuous improvement? Good question. For, uh, for performance and continuous improvement, you're just a, the culture of continuous improvement. So, what we look, what I look for is to have multiple areas, multiple ways of capturing ideas and from different departments or different 
employee levels and organizations and doing the things like that, implementing them and celebrating and making a big deal when things came out. And, and I'm not saying you need to have fireworks all the time, but that, you know, having that, uh, you know, not just speeches, like I said, you're actually taking action and getting those ideas and following up and that sort of thing and, and creating that culture. And I've seen where companies do incentives and that sort of thing. But I mean, if a, if a person feels valued and you're listening to them and you're taking action on what they want, like that's, if it's a fan, okay, you know, or if it's something bigger and actually taking the time to explain why or why not and engaging that and then you can even create uh, you know, just more engagement and ownership. So celebrating the, the wins. That, that's kind of what I took out, uh, out of what you're saying. So when you, when you achieve it, make sure you take time to celebrate the achievement. Yeah, and, and keeping it from being just a check the box, this is what we did. And we had in our area where it was, every time the line was down, we'd have this natural work group. And so it's like, really, that just means we're doing something instead of making tractors. And we said, we're not going to call it that anymore. This is reserved for continuous increment efforts. Sure. That's it. Sure. Leadership. And I'll, this will be my summary, my final statement on that. What I've seen in improvement projects with suppliers, the one thing that is non-negotiable is the leader must be engaged. I've seen where a supplier had the plant manager, the top guy, was the only one that bought into this stuff. This improvement, it was successful. I saw another one where there was 10 people bought into it. The leader didn't care wasn't successful. That's the biggest thing. And that's something you're saying the guy, and that's something you said a lot of, you know, when you do an integration project, mm-hmm. if you don't have the champion, the champion, yeah. an A player, right level. Yeah. Somebody that wants to make this successful. Yeah. And, and is willing to let the, uh, this was an example. And I think this is an important point, but is to say, you know what, we're going to lose 10 minutes of production to have this meeting because it is important to me. And once my leadership understood that, then we started to get the improvements. We made up way more than the 10 minutes, you know, by over the long run. So Mike, any, any ideas for how Spain continues to improve Yeah. I, I mean, a lot of it just kind of piggyback on it said is, is a lot of it's got to be about consistency. You know, it can't be just once a quarter, once every night, you know, you got to be out there uh, consistently talking about these key things, you know, and, and a lot of it's communication to the employees, you know, we do, quarterly uh, communication meetings with employees, bring them in for an hour and talk about, you know, here's where we're good. Here's where we're not so good. And a lot of it's just being direct and honest with them. You know, I think the more transparent we can be with the employees about what's working, what's not working, they care. I mean, I mean, there's days you don't feel that everybody cares, but, but generally people, you know, generally people do care whether or not they're working for a successful company. They want to be part of the success. And so, you know, a lot of it has to be with just direct and honest communication on a regular basis. You know, I, um, you, you know, there wasn't that many years ago, you know, you have the divide of the office and the plant, you know, and, and plant never saw people come from the office and the office never see anybody in plant. And that's always been one of our biggest challenges is, we're one company. We have one goal. We have one set of customers all working together. And, and it's not always easy to see that in an, in every individual little station. So a lot of it is just breaking down the communication about getting in front of people, talking with people, bringing them together and understanding, you know, common goals. Where do we win? Where do we lose? Let's learn and move forward type of thing. So, so you bring, you bring up something funny and we, we always use this joke in our company. You know, we need to use high speed voice technology. Which is just talking to the person next yeah. to Yeah. Yeah. A lot when people just send emails and it just sits in your inbox and then two hours later they send an email back. So I just walk over there and talk to them. Yeah. So we we took that um, to a whole new level at Penny, one one of our businesses where we have 
one called Spewrock, quick response office cells. So that is an engineering sits next to purchasing, which just sits next to the inside sales person, and it's co-located right on the shop floor. So if there's an issue with production, they just like look out the window or walk out there and talk to the person. And it man, it just makes so much more like teamwork and it and the time it takes to fix a problem or like, get something out the doors is reduced quite a bit. One thing, one final thing I'd say that I think I do think this may be unique to Deer is that what you said made me think of it. We call it a day in the life. And we actually take three production days and you take salaried employees like engineering, marketing, other people, and they go and actually get trained on the assembly job. Oh, really? They awesome. a day and a half training. And then the last day they actually run the job. And so that's in the production schedule. That's in everything. And so it sort of gives a mutual respect. Absolutely. Between the people. And especially if you can do it, the people that are designing the process and the people, I mean, you can yeah, kind of work that out. But. Brian, did you bring the shop four people into the office and you have them do marketing for a day? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. Our sales? Yeah. No, yeah. I think probably some of the best salespeople we've had. Yeah. I think this, our, our head of engineering and R&D is having a good knowledge every time we talk to a customer, they find oh, oh, we need more not salespeople to work on my sales team. But, um, okay, so... How to motivate people, how to sustain continuous improvement, and how to, how to bridge the gap from the different generations. You talked about celebrating the wins, Ryan, and, and what I thought of was like an NFL celebration in the end zone and, and how that's received from different people in different generations. You know, my grandfather was always just like, anytime someone would celebrate a sack or someone would do a dance in the end zone, he'd be like, you know, that guy's cocky, that guy's an idiot. And nowadays you see these, these elaborate team celebrations. And, and I think uh, I'll be honest, like, I think the coaches that embrace that, like, Hey, go out there and do something funny, make each other laugh. You just, you just intercepted the ball. You just scored a touchdown, like celebrate the win um, with respect, right? Don't get a flag or whatever. But I think there's just a kind of a shift and, and that's just one of many shifts. And Another shift that I want to talk about is like, yeah, I think people are motivated differently. You know, your response to like, why would you incentivize something that's expensive? come out on time? And then the knock on the millennial generation is they just want to sit at home and play video games all day. Well, don't you? And relax. Um, maybe a little bit. See? Right. Sometimes, but, so what is gotcha. it about the video game that's so motivating? Right. It's it's like very clear. Talk about feedback glue. It's very clear um, what it takes to get to that level, what it takes to you know get more coins or to beat the boss or to get the new equipment for your character or whatever it is. It's very clear. And so it's like think about how much time some of these millennial kids dedicate to perfecting their craft. It's like the craft has no value. What if you applied that uh, motivation towards a craft that has tremendous value for our our companies and our economy and our country? How can you do that? You know, the buzzwords of that is gamification. So is there any elements of gamification that you guys have, uh, you know, implemented where, okay, like achieve this and get that, achieve this and get that. And here's how you level up, if you will. One of the, I don't know if it's directly related, somewhat similar though. One of the things we've started doing is every time somebody's completed their first part, we take a picture with him and their part. Oh, we we oh, give it up and we hand it to the employee. They, you know, a lot of times they'll take it home. So people 
you know, they don't, their spouses or family, what they do every day. Well, they can take home and say, here, see what I did. It's like you pass level oh, one. These are production runs, right? Yes. These aren't, these aren't low volume onesie, twosie parts where you're taking a picture every day, right? Right, right. Okay, so this is our first one. Oh, first, okay. Once you did your own part for the first time, and once you built your first, <laughs> okay. once you completed your first new design, okay. your engineer now has a picture. Ah, got it. Gamification. Yeah, that's like level one. And you, you pass level those, one. You see those elements. In it's the a fancy game with any award. Don't, that's, that's what it is. Think about it. You see yeah. Elements like that in video games that come out nowadays where they're always connected to their social media accounts. So right. if you like a great score and you want to share it, you share it and you post social. it. Oh, look how good yeah, I did on IG. this is. You just applied that exact same concept to you know making your first quality part. Yeah, you just need to figure out, okay, now what's the level two pick? Right. Yeah, we haven't hey, gotten there yet. No? Yeah. And that could be part of that, uh, what do you call it, success path? Success plan, yeah. Success plan, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, what about it, John Deere? Anything like that? Yeah, so I think the would be probably the run rates would be the gamification. I think it's important for us to know, okay, did we win or lose today? That's kind of like the idea. How are you going to measure that? And if it's a fabrication department or an assembly or whatever, however you measure that and just letting people know each day, whether it's in a startup meeting or whether you're just chatting about it, just how did we do yesterday? That's something that I think is important from the gamification aspect or the metrics. And one other thing I've seen done uh, in where we have efficiency issues or whatever, if you put up like at a machine shop or whatever, you just simply put up a whiteboard and every hour they write down what they're getting. I've seen 20, 30% improvement usually just by tracking it and writing it down because it's not that they're trying to you know, get the man over or whatever, but it's kind of like you pay attention to it, you're closer, and then you have other conversations like, oh, I didn't know that my that bathroom time was included in the split time. And all, you know, I didn't know that. You just so that's something too that that's been good to where they can see each day it's green or red. And we, we do the same thing, the color-coded red, red or green. So, um, Jason, I know you negotiated for a deviation. Yeah, we, we, from the engineering department over there. We're good, though. We're We've only right. on schedule. We have the opportunity to be on time with this delivery. I know. You that's know, great. Right. I think we, if we could yes. probably wrap this up the next week. Yeah, right? Maybe I'll get a bonus. Yeah, we and we don't. Unfortunately, we don't even have time to uh, do a Q and A. I don't think so. I apologize, you guys in the front row. I told you I'd put the. Or do we want to ask a quick question? Well, does anybody have any questions? Is there any questions we'll, we'll out just there? Do a Q and A. Yeah, please go ahead. Who's the two? You need to speak. I need to speak. You got the room for two minutes. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, you want me to stand? Yeah, because, okay. Because Jason kept oh, 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 you're being funny. Oh, yeah. You know what's an ongoing thing with this? Yeah, so we fight all the time. You know, it's the funny because usually it's the opposite. Usually it's he's Thank always you. cutting me off. So, well, yeah. yeah. All right. All right. With that, okay. So, you know, <laughs> I, I love that you said that. <laughs> I can't he help literally it. Literally, I can't years, help it. Like, yeah. Poor Nick. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah. So, you get the opportunity. Yeah. All right. Take you the ball. I can. Believe Do you me. have a real question? <laughs> no. Okay. Tim, you get to put the ball on. All right. You get the last uh, one minute. Go ahead. Well, what I was going to say is, you know, so <laughs> <laughs> you're killing me. You're killing me. So one of the things, you know, a part of what we do is equip and inspire manufacturing leaders. And it's one thing to talk about this stuff. Right. And one of the things I think nowadays that we're all, we all kind of, um, fail to do is to put these things into action, right? Like, so we can, we can absorb all of this content, which I'm like a professional in. I think you would, oh, you, would let me tell you. you know, like just the consumption of podcasts and listening to a double speed and all that kind of stuff. But 
there's people that actually put these things into action. They actually make a difference in their, in their, um, on their shop floor at their manufacturing company. And, uh, they gave us the honor of doing some awards. So I want to talk about that really quick for those people, for those manufacturing leaders. And I think they're all out in the audience here. Um, who has put this into action? So why don't we talk about what are the awards that we're giving out? I think you're doing the, so, you're yeah, doing the first uh, one, right? Minus for the workforce of the future. Okay. And so, you know, these would be people who didn't just talk about it. They, they did it. Right. So it's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to let Jim talk about it. Right. And it's another thing to reward somebody who actually got it done. So, um, I'm going to read this. I, I was given this. I'm going to kind of read the story of the award winner here. Why don't you hold off for a second? Hold off for a second. Okay. What's your, what's your award about Jim? Uh, minus for the, um, factory of the future. And that really resonates with me well because we just moved to a new facility and we're state of the art. It is. And it really does resonate with me. So I'm I'm anxious to give the award for the factory of future to this person because they recognize transfer transformation of a workplace through workplace connections and initiatives. Jason, great, yeah. love it. And I've got uh, visionary of the future. One of the things that I always say is everything starts with a vision. Um, and this award recognizes an industry leader for support of innovative solutions, promoting that 4.0 influence. So I think that these are going to be great awards to give out. Should we do that now? Well, we, what I, I need Tim's like, permission uh, to, to deliver the award. So, Tim, what I'd like to do first before we do that is I would like to excuse our panel. There you go. Should we call it another podcast? podcast? Yeah, there we go. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Um, yeah, so again, you know, just thank you to the Hawkeye Community College. I think what, what you all are doing with recognizing these manufacturing leaders is just, that's paramount. I mean, again, you can, you can get the knowledge, you can, but putting these things into action is what's important. And, you know, these leaders, these companies are truly transforming manufacturing. And, you know, kudos to Hawkeye for, for recognizing that. Yeah. And also kudos to Hawkeye for, for a lot of what they do to prepare people for the trades. Uh, we were talking to Celia before this, the, the machining program, the, the training and programming and, and everything that, that helps us make chips is, is what we need a lot more in this country. So thank you to the top Hawkeye for supporting you bet. So we end the same show with kind of one one tagline, right? We end every show the same, and it kind of sums up everything that we talk about. Can you guys share that? What what is that? I won't interrupt. It's, it's, yeah. it's a young man growing up in the shop floor, um, you know, doing manual machining, CNC machining, and my goodness, would look out here out into the shop, and I'd be out there and he'd say, "Jim, if you're not making chips, you're not making money." Bam, go. Yes, oh yes. Is there, any, is there any questions from the audience? Do we have any like follow-ups, even from our panelists? We'd love to, you know, kind of continue the conversation for what another fifteen minutes. If there's anything, anybody have a question? Tim, come on. You don't have any questions? Yes, Susie. I can. I'll, I'll bring you. Take a mic right out there, then. Nikki. Nick and Nikki. Nikki. Oh, how cute. <laughs> I know this is probably preaching to the choir, but I actually was at something yesterday and talking about the generational gap of millennials and older people. Um, I just thought this was brilliant and I've experienced it and I know I'm preaching to the choir from a lot of people in this room who I already know, but I just think it's worth saying 
somebody in the audience I met yesterday was a millennial. And she said, this open door policy for bosses is a myth. Okay. They don't really have the open door policy. And she said, as a millennial, mm-hmm. I want to know there's open door policy true because it's for her, she said it's a myth. It doesn't exist. And somebody in the, there was a panel, and the panel said, I don't have an open door. I go out to the floor and I talk. And I, again, I know probably many of you do. I know it's hard when we're working remotely and virtually and there's 13,000 employees or 700 employees or whatever it is. But I just think that's something to keep in mind is don't have your open door policy. Go to the floor. That's great. I love sharing that. Yeah. So, Nikki, I've got I've got a thought as far as this goes. It's just an idea to throw out there. So, we're in a college, and one of the things that college professors do is that they have their office hours. So, they're in the classroom, they're teaching, and then maybe they're going out and they're doing research or whatever else that professors do. I, I have no idea. Um, but there's a time and a day. There's a day and a time where you can expect to find them in the office, and you can go in there and ask some questions. So, what I communicate to my team is I say, okay, these are my time when I have that open door because you don't want to have the open door all the time. You can't, like a lot of us need to either, if whether it's on the shop floor or whether it's in an office, you want to have your heads down doing work, right? Like, and you don't want to be interrupted when you're trying to get that project done. But then there's other times of the day where if you can carve it out, you can say, yeah, come and interrupt me. It's fair game. And these are the hours by which that I'm going to facilitate that. And that's one of the things that I do in order to accommodate it. So kind of that balance between the two. I think there's a big difference between um, being available to receive feedback and actively seeking the feedback. And I think that's, that's kind of what you were hitting on. Like, how big of a priority is this? Do you leave your door open or do you go out yeah. and go grab it? So, awesome. Any other great uh, questions, comments? Tim? Tim? So, we're coming up on, we're coming up on almost three years since the pandemic, technically like November of 2019, I guess you'd say, but here, nothing really happened until March of 2020. Mm-hmm. Just what you were talking about. I'd like you to talk about what that means working from home. Everyone on the floor worked the whole time and did everything. And then you go to meet management. And management isn't in the office. They're still not in the office. Mm-hmm. I'd like you to speak on that. Very I mean, you, you call that like hypocritical, right? Oh, no. I mean, just to be no, clear, this is, this, is, this is how you get more done, right? What I think, what I think, let's articulate the question a little bit because. So what you're saying is, during the entire pandemic, in fact, we still have to be on the shop floor. You can't yeah. be parts with remotely, right? Yeah, I, rem- I remember that first day, I got a call from one of my clients who said, I need you and your team in the office. Here's a letter from the Department of Defense saying, I need your tooling. You need to be in the office. And we never skipped a day, too, either. So I know what you're talking about. But I cut him off again, didn't I, Tim? You did. You did. <laughs> so what, what It's I- my new favorite sport, funny out, Jim. That's okay. Circles. <laughs> I've got the wisdom. <laughs> remember that? It's not that Yes. So what I think Tim is trying to say is during the pandemic, we had all these shop floor people, and they were the ones that were really producing products for us every single day. Right? Right? Where you can run your machines from home. Right. right. So how do we how do we create that camaraderie? How do we bring it back again? Because now all the people that were working remote don't want to work remote anymore, right? They want us. That they, they don't want to come back in the Open hours, right? Just you. Well, what, what I'm hearing from my peers is they're pulling their remote people back in. 
And we and I have a sales manager, and he wanted to be off two days a week versus uh, four. And I said, no, you've got to come in because it's all about corporate culture, right? We're we, this is a team. We're all in this together. Everyone needs to be on site. Everyone needs to be living and breathing the manufacturing process and talking, you know, about our job. I think there's a two sides to it, too, but then there's. More, I think more flexibility can make sense sometimes. Um, what we always talk about, we only record the podcast. We don't do like Zoom recordings. Yes, we were talking about you about it. Why? Because it's a different kind of conversation. There's so much of the communication is nonverbal. And what I said to Tim before uh, we started was, you know, the difference between being on the phone and being in a Zoom is a huge leap. The person, and then the difference between Zoom and being in person across the table from somebody is huge leap. Well, communication is so, so important to how a company functions and people rest and perform. Yep. You know, so you can't really just do that if a bunch of no calls and emails. Now put that back into that same perspective of your bonus at the end of the week for being there. Is management there every week? Mm-hmm. Are they there at the there week? Because yeah. your shop floor looks at everyone in the yeah. office and goes, you're not here. You may think you're here or working from home, but you're not here. They see that. And then when they go, hey, you have an open door policy, your open door policy is come to my house. What is that? I mean, no, it's, it's a real, real issue. Yeah, and here's where I'm maybe more flexible than we would have been, or our company's more flexible than we would have been. We all know there's huge skills that's so hard to find and it's even harder to find those people who live within like a short driving distance from the shop. So obviously some jobs you have to be there to do. Other jobs, maybe like like some of these traveling sales roles that, that I would need, you don't know, necessarily need to be there all the time. But even for me, it's still important they have a presence. So some of the people that I've been recruiting maybe hours away. Those people we define, kind of like you define when you're little, we define certain days where those are your work from your home office days. And then there's other days where you really need to be you don't have to come. So now I don't have to you know miss the chance to get that a performer that I really want to recruit because I'm I'm flexible enough, but it's not, you know, you're off on some island somewhere and don't Yeah, I was gonna say that same thing, Nick, is like you know, defining it at the front end is is defining it at the front end is important, you know. But I think your question goes to like what do you do now? It's one you know? thing. Live your culture. That's a big, you know, Tim, that's a big part of it. So like, I think it, a cult, the culture is a, is a big component because with us, we have very much a hybrid environment. There's a very, there's a big mix of work from home versus I have a few employees that are hundred percent work from home. And I, yeah, I, yeah, I have a few. I mean, yeah. Um, we, we've got, no, 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 not, I'm not one of those. I'm, no, I'm a, I'm a hybrid. So like we've got, um, we've got three international employees and then we've got two, two that, um, work from home, uh, primarily and then our sales team, of course. But, um, you know, it's, it's a matter of like, you need to have a good culture and you need to know, I think the people that work in the office every day, they need to see those people working from home actually working and actually producing output. And there becomes an accountability to say, okay, show me what you did today. You know, we do a thing where we share, um, and not everybody is, is compliant with it. We share our three biggest wins a week. You know what I mean? So like, I probably need to hold those work from home or those hybrid team members more accountable for sharing those three wins so that the rest of the team knows what they're actually getting done. Cause you don't want to disincentivize the people that are there every day working on the floor. Absolutely. But they also need to understand that they have a different job. 
Yeah. You know, like let's be let's be really honest. Your job operationally is dependent on you being there. The sales manager's job is just not. Well, it's taking a lot of sales people who spend too much time on shows. Like you know, go see some customers. Yeah, you know, so. and, and you know what? It, and, that, and that could be an aspiration. I mean, there's a lot of people that are out on the shop floor that maybe should be in sales, and maybe that should be their aspiration. But the fact is, you can't do that job unless you're there. But your point about so one of the people that we just brought in is like 90 minute drives from our company and the job that came from it was a lot of remote automation engineers and and he's like yeah everyone was working remote but if you if you weren't on slack which is a big communication platform if you weren't in it's microsoft teams and someone was like reaching out to you and you weren't responding for any power it was a big deal you know so if you have the technology and the accountability and everyone needs to be on the ball where you can see everything that was communicated throughout the day, there's nowhere to hide. You can't you know, take two hours like go you know, play with the kids outside. Then it's, it's easier to tolerate. Any more questions? We got five more minutes. Right, right. So I'm just wondering, you got a lot of new podcast listeners, so what would you recommend? Where do we start? So the latest episode or I guess flagship stuff? Well, there's 335 episodes. Don't don't start the beginning. We were really we had to drink a bottle of wine to get through the first one. <laughs> yeah, it, that was kind of an interesting story. Oh, honestly, like I remember when I got that microphone in front of me for the first time, I sounded like a robot. We, we took like five takes and I was signing like Jim, you need to grab a bottle of wine. Jason's company is like about three minutes left of all there, and we were in this furnace room in this company, and I remember we had the mics on, and the mics were flying down over it, and I'm picking up on and I'm like, oh my god. And then we what, had, like, what are we doing? And like, you know those little, like, DJ boards you see with, like, all the volume dials? It's like, we bought one of those, and we didn't know how to use it. We're like, what is we So now we're going to figure out how to use the equipment. the real answer. We organize... Everything we talk about falls in like buckets. So it might be workforce oriented uh, conversation, like what today was about, or it might be technology we're talking about, technical machine tools, whatever it might be. And so we use tags on our website to organize by that. So if there's a particular um, issue that you're thinking about, you know, uh, managing supply, you know, how to handle COVID, how you're working from home, or whatever, there's a good chance you've already just got things you've done a lot. I guess, and you can kind of focus by what what's interesting to you at the time. Yeah, and, and I've got two great stories related to that. So, um, one gentleman was uh, involved in private equity, and he bought a manufacturing company. So he, before that, didn't have any experience with manufacturing a company. You know, medium sized company came up for sale. He bought it, and then another gentleman went into, I think, it was maybe sales of like machine tools or something like that. And both of them had a desire to learn the manufacturing industry, and they they both started listening to making chips from the first episode, and it's kind of like telling this story arc, and they were like. It was the best education that we ever got, free education about the manufacturing industry. And they felt so much more equipped and knowledgeable. And they could talk about topics with other people. And it was just, they said it was a great learning experience. Yeah. I mean, we're talking a lot of, we're talking, I don't know, like average 45 minutes times 350 episodes. I mean, it's a lot of time, but I don't know. You know, they got an education out of it. And they said, I, I know you're talking about those machine tool dealers from CNO. Okay. And, and they said, you know, it's like every time you come out with an episode, it's exactly what we're talking about. That yeah. Or whatever. So it was yeah. just like, you know, we just do it and they listen to it as a leadership team. 
that was a great compliment for us. And I think the only reason we're able to do that is because we're not like a marketing company trying to sell our podcast to manufacturing people. We're in this life where we do why, why do we do it? For the honestly to equipment inspired manufacturing years, and we're on that list. So we we do it to equipment inspire ourselves. Yeah, I mean this podcast has helped me in my business more than anything else has. Like, like, meeting, meeting people like you all, like you know, you Ryan and, and Mike, I don't um where you are, but like yeah, meeting those uh, manufacturing leaders has helped inspire me. Jim was able to ask you who qualifies suppliers and he's a contract manufacturing company, you know, what what is a good quality uh, supplier look like? Okay, well that's how we feedback for him. So we you know we do this for ourselves. All right, one quick last <laughs> question if you got one. Or we could another down. Yeah, go ahead, please. I just wanted to say I've been listening for about eight months Oh, thank you. Okay. Yeah, thanks. But each one of these podcasts, not only get funny for listening, I learned a lot. There's usually a one to one and a half page write up that goes with it, and you can kind of glance through that and see if that's something you want to do. I don't know how far. Well, and that's a good point to dovetail on that. So you could search for makingchips.com and then, you know, like, oh, there's our machine tools or markets. And then, one of the reasons why we write up that the little piece is so people can find it in yeah, and you because yeah, it's hard to sit through 350. Yeah, and if you go on your podcast catcher, I did verify the other day because you asked me, Jim, you can go back to episode number one. Oh, don't do that. No, no, no. I honestly no, like uh, we get a lot of it. I mean, it's gonna be different. Episode 350 and episode one are gonna sound different, but I mean it's there's still some value there for sure. Thank, Thank you very much for having us. Yeah. Thank you all. Thanks for listening to the Making Chips Podcast. Jim and Jason knew that the metalworking nation, the community of world-class makers, needed to commit to a new way of leading to stay ahead of the competition. So, Making Chips was created to fill that void, to give you advice from other manufacturing leaders who can push you to take action. Your manufacturing challenges have a solution. And many of them are at makingchips.com.